off in Charlotte. We've been around for a little over 12 years and, and just really seen God do some incredible things. We did move on just a word from God. I mean, honestly, it was just a, God spoke to us. We had never, we, don't, we didn't know a whole lot about church planting. This was back in uh, 2001, and, and just, uh, just God did so, some cool stuff in our heart. Um, let, me, let me tell you a quick story about that because I think it's, it's cool what God can do, especially since this is Faith Weekend. Um, you know, one of the first things that we had to decide on when God said, I want you to go plant a church. Now, this was before church planting books were around and, and kind of church planting was kind of the vogue thing to do. And, and so I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I, I was, you know, barely saved. And so it was, it was just to think that, like, I want you to go and plant a church was humongous. I knew that I would not do it in the same city that I was in. Because, because that would just be totally dishonoring to the pastor that I was at. And so I said, where do you want us to go? So the first question that we had to answer was, where, where do you want us to go? And so it, I'll never forget this. I remember just like it was yesterday. I remember praying and asking God, where do you want us to go? We spent three months praying, and it was a Tuesday in October 2001, and I was a full-time com- full uh, sales commission salesperson, and, and I was getting ready to leave, and we had three kids, uh, four, two, and zero at the time, and so, you know, it's a big decision, man. It's a huge decision to launch out, do anything, start a business, uh, move to a city or whatever, and so, so I left that day, and you know how you kind of tell God, like, today's the day, like, you're going to answer me today? You ever done that before? You ever get kind of like just kind of firm with God? You're a little scared, but you do it anyway. It's kind of like when you when you go to your wife and you're asking to buy a new TV. It's kind of the same type thing. You're kind of a little scared, but you know you you think you have control in the house. Um, <clears throat> but you know the you know just like just like we know that we're we're the head, but they're the neck. They tell us where to turn. So anyway. So I tell God that day, I said, I want to know the answer. So I told my wife as I'm leaving, like, I know today is the day that God's going to speak to us. You pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to go away and uh, go to work. And when I come back tonight, we're going to get back together and we're going to talk about where we're supposed to go. And so this was back in the bag phone days. How many of you remember the bag phones? Anybody over 35? Bag phones. They had cell phones were not like they were back then. They had these, they were bags. And they were about $45 a minute to make a phone call. So I knew I wasn't going to call my wife, even though in the middle of the day, God spoke to me like this is where we're supposed to go. So I get home, I drive into the driveway, and I get out of the car, and my wife's coming out dragging all three kids. You know, she's got one on her hip, she's got, she's got one on her back, and dragging the other one behind, you know, saying, I, I think I know where we're supposed to go. And I said, I think I know where we're supposed to go, too. And I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to count one, two, three, and we're both going to say the name. I said, one, two, three, and we both said Charlotte. And then we looked at each other like, that this, What? Like, did we just say the same name, the same place? So that night, so that night, we, um, we went to uh, Carrabba's. Do you have Carrabba's here in San Diego? So this was, this was way back, and we, we went to this restaurant. It, was, it, was just, it had just started in Richmond, Virginia, which is where I'm from. I'm originally from Richmond. And so um, I went there. We, we sit down to eat, and it just started. It was open for two weeks, and we're sitting there, and we always engage the the server, like, just start talking to him and sharing things. And he says, you know, I've been working for Carabas for a few years. I'm like, a few years? How could you be working a few years? This restaurant's only been open for two weeks. And, and so he says, no, no, actually, I'm training people here in Charlotte. I mean, in, yeah, in, uh, in Richmond because I live in Charlotte. I'm like, no way. So we, my wife both and I look at us, you know, we were like, oh, my gosh, this is, this is for reals, like, 
this is really happening. True story. We go to the mall because we're poor family. You know, we, you know, we got three kids. And so we, we were still a little hungry after Carabas. And, and so we're, you know, just doing the circle in the food court to get the freebies. Um, you know, just can I have some more, you know, chicken and just keep going around. It's kind of like when you go to, do you have Sam's Club here? And they have the free food. Yeah, so you just go to there at lunchtime for, for lunch. Don't be looking at me like you don't do that because you know you do. And you just send your kids to the get another. You're not going to buy it, but you still send them to get the little cup and just get four of them because they're not going to say no to a kid, right? Just keep going, sweetheart. Get another one for daddy. <laughs> so we go, we go in the mall and we're walking around and we go into this little lotion shop because my girls love to put lotions on their, lotion on their hands and, and we're, you know, the testers, it's all free. And so we, we walking around and this woman runs up to us and she's a little too excited to be working at a lotion shop. So she runs up to us and she says, hey, um, if you need any help, my name is Charlotte. I'm like, what the... This is crazy. So we just knew, you know, God does that. But you got to ask him. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the question of where am I going? Where am I going? Um, I had a friend of mine um, named Manny, Manny Ahome, and he uh, runs a ministry called Samaritan's Feet, and he puts shoes on people around the world. That's his job. And, and he asked me the question the other day. He said, hey, Troy, where, where do you think the richest place on earth is? And I was like, I just started thinking like cities, you know, because you think of Qatar, you think of maybe Kuwait, oil, you think of maybe New York City, or maybe you think of uh, a city in California. You know, if you think of, of wealth, then it would be Qatar. Qatar is wealth, the wealthiest per capita, $91,000 per capita. Um, if, if you think of trade, China would be the, the, the richest, if you think of trade, $2 trillion of export goes out of China. If you think of vacation, you know, because it's hard not to think of vacation when you live here. The most expensive vacation would be uh, Richard Branson's um, Necker Island, $42,000 a night. So just if you're thinking about it. And then he shocked me. He shocked me because he said to me, he said, Troy... I believe the richest place on earth is the cemetery. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? The cemetery? What, what could it be? The cemetery? How could that be? And he said, you know, because it's filled with unfulfilled dreams. It's filled with books that should have been written. It's filled with songs that should have been sung. It's filled with businesses that never started. It's filled with ministries that never actually came to fruition. It's built, filled with buildings that were never built, degrees that were never earned. And I started, we started dialoguing about this, and I said, why is that? And he said, well, I think, uh, and I said, is, is it because many people live like this? This is kind of my analogy of people who miss out on living the God dream or God's vision for their life. So where am I going, you know? A directionless life, directionless life is pointless, it's empty, it's unfulfilling. I want to know where I'm going. Look at your neighbor and say, where are you going? Where are you going? Look at where are you going? Where are you going? Let's answer that question today. What is, a basic question would be, what is God's will for my life? So here's how, here's how sometimes we end up not fulfilling that, is we go, ready, fire, aim. 
In other words, we, we shoot our arrow at the target, and then we, when it hits, we go, okay, now, God, I'm going to draw the bullseye around where I want to go, what I want to do, what I see my life being. See, I believe God's will is both a journey and a destination. It's both a journey and a destination. It's not just about getting to a specific place, but it's what God does in us on the way. Love James 4. Look at this verse with me, James 4. I want to unpack this a little bit and, and give you a little bit of uh, context around God's will before we dive into this and make sure we get, get it kind of fixed. Instead of ready, fire, aim, how about ready, aim, fire? Verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say, today... Or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. James 4 verse 13. Spend a year there. Buy and sell. Sell and make profit. In other words, it'd be like saying in the 21st century, come now listen to me today or tomorrow. We will go to this city, take this job, marry this person, buy this dress, these shoes, start this business. Whereas you do not know, verse 14, what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. So short. It's just minuscule. I think it's important for us to realize that we're only given a certain amount of time here on the earth. So easy to take it for granted. So easy to go, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. Or I'll just get involved tomorrow. I'll just connect tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. In other words, what is God's will? What is, what is God's direction? We shall live and do this or that. Verse 16, but now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Verse 17, therefore to him, James doesn't, he doesn't pull any, any, any stops. He says, therefore to him who knows to do good, for him who knows that God's will is for them and does not do it, to him it is sin. So what is God's will for my life? Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. He says, having predestined us to adoptions as, adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure. Everybody say good pleasure of his will. So first of all, first of all, God's will is good. It's good. You say, well, my life isn't good right now. Just hold on. Okay, hold on to the seat in front of you. We'll get there. Verse 9, having made known to us the mystery. Everybody shout mystery. Now, this is important because many times we think God's will is some kind of hidden thing, like God's playing a little trick on us and saying, you know, I hope they find it. You know, it's, it, no, it's not like that. God has revealed his will. We just have to be willing, listen, to step out in faith to receive it. Verse 11, in him we also have obtained an inheritance. Aren't you glad God has given us an inheritance? Having predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel. Everybody say counsel. So then what that says to me is, first of all, God's will is good. It's not hidden, and it speaks to me on a regular basis. I just have to tune in to the right channel. i got to make sure I'm listening. Listen, listen, God is always talking. The question isn't God saying something. The question is, are you listening? That was worth coming this morning just for that. So what the will of God does is it stirs up the faith that each one of us has in us. All of us have enough faith to do what God's called us to do. It's in you. It's in every one of you. It's, there's enough faith in you to have the greatest marriage ever. I know it's easy to look at other people and go, oh, they have such a great marriage. I wish I could have one. Why can't I? It's, it's in you. 
You have enough faith to, to do the, the business that God has put in you, to, to fulfill your assignment that God has placed in you. All of that is inside of you. It's all in there. And God's will, I believe, pulls it out of us. It challenges us. God's will does. Because it's a journey and a destination. I love to play golf. I've enjoyed playing golf for about 25, 30 years. Um, I'm an average golfer. I enjoy getting out, hitting the ball around. I have fun. If you don't know anything about golf, golf, the goal of golf is to, to make it from tee to hole, tee to green, in the hole, in the least amount of strokes that you can get it in. So there's a tee. There's a fairway in between the tee and the green. Here's, here's a good picture of one. That's a pretty golf course right there. That must be here in San Diego. So, so there, there's, a, there's a tee, and then you hit the ball, and it lands on the fairway. And then in order to have the, the best shot to the green to get it in the hole, remember, you want to get it in the least amount of strokes you can, is you want to get the ball on the fairway. You want to get it on the fairway. It's nice grass. It's, it's cut just perfect. They really take care of it. Now, there's outside of the fairways, you know, it's a pretty big space out there for the fairway, sometimes smaller than other times. Right outside of the fairway is a place called the rough, the rough. Now, you can, you can hit from the rough to the green, but it's not the best place to hit your ball from. Some, sometimes the rough is so deep and so thick that you can't even find your ball. Been there, I played a couple times in Colorado, you hit your ball in the rough, and it's like 50-50 chance if you can even find it. Now, now if it, it gets even worse, because they also put on the side in the rough these big holes, and they put sand in them, they're called bunkers. Now, here's the deal. You can hit your ball from the bunker onto the green, but it's not the best place to hit your ball from. Sometimes your ball can get buried in the bunker, and you just have to hit it out back to the fairway. And then even farther outside is the woods. You can hit the ball into the woods. San Diego, you can hit in the desert. They don't have woods out here. We, we have woods in Charlotte. But you can hit it beyond the rough, beyond the bunkers. And sometimes you can find your ball and sometimes you can't. Even beyond that, there's these little white stakes that line what's called the out-of-bounds area. You can hit a house. <laughs> you can hit a car small children, whatever. I mean, but outside of that is the out-of-bounds area. Now, here, here's my point. My point is, is God wants us to live our life in the fairway. In order for you to make the least amount of strokes to get it into the hole. Now, you, you, can, live, you can live your life in the, in the rough. It's more difficult. You can find yourself in the bunker more difficult. You can spend your life searching in the woods, or you can hit it out of bounds constantly and have to go right back to the T to start over again. I want to live in the fairway. How about you today? How many, how, C3 Church, you want to live in the fairway today? Okay, well, let, let's figure out what the fairway looks like. What is God's will for my life? The, God's will is divided up into three parts, okay? If you look at the fairway, it's kind of three parts. The first one, and I'd encourage you to take some notes today. I gave you some notes to, to write down. I'm a big note taker, so some fill in the blanks there. Here's the first part of the will of God. It's called the sovereign will of God. I want to put some context on this, some theology around the will so we can understand it better. So the sovereign will of God is what God is doing on the earth, what he's doing right now. Now, what he's doing on the earth, sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we like it, 
Sometimes we don't. The issue is, it's just out of our control. This is where trust and faith comes into play. You have to know that there's something going on behind the screen in order for this to happen out here. There's a lot of things going on in a church behind the scenes that you don't know about that makes it pleasurable for you to come and participate at C3 Church. Now, we do know that God's will is sovereign. In other words, he's already set it into play. His power, he is unlimited, omnipotent. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He's everywhere all the time. And so he has designed things so that when we get there, his will begins to enact in our life. For example, for example, now these are things totally out of our control. And the interesting thing about it is it still involves our, our ability to choose. Your most powerful spiritual ability is choice. Your ability to choose. You say, well, no, 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 time out, pastor. That's not, my most powerful spiritual ability is prayer. No, 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 prayer is not your most powerful spiritual ability because you still have to choose to pray. Well, well, no, no, hold on. I like to sing, and when I sing, heaven comes. Okay, yeah, but you still have to choose to sing. Well, you say, well, what about the word of God? I, I, when, I, when I declare the word of God, you still have to choose to read, to declare the word of God. Choice is your most powerful spiritual ability. So now here's where it gets kind of weird, or it'll mess with you a little bit. God knows how you're going to choose. You say, well, now hold on a second. He, he, he gives me free will. He does give you free will, but he doesn't exist in time. <laughs> so he steps out of time. He's able to see everything. And so he designs his sovereign will, not just for our life, but for everything. And then he steps back and he allows it choice to fit in. And somehow, some way, God is able to orchestrate our life for his good and our pleasure in our life to live it out. Now, now, here's the thing. The Bible says in Romans 8, 28, it says, All things work together for the good of those who love God. Now, it doesn't say all things are good. Because some of us in this room, all things right now ain't good. But you've got to trust in God's sovereign will. Let me give you a perfect example really quickly. Luke chapter 19 there's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. Jesus, the Bible says, he goes into Jericho, and, and, he, and he comes out of Jericho, and as he's leaving, there's a, uh, he's walking down this road, and, and the Bible says this guy named Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, he was a little short, he climbs up this tree because he had heard about Jesus and he wanted to see Jesus, and so he goes, he climbs up this tree, and he yells out to Jesus, and Jesus stops, he looks up at Zacchaeus and says, hey, I'm going to go eat at your house. And you know the story, that he goes to eat at Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus comes and says, I've, I've ripped people off, I've stolen from them, I'm going to restore it, and then his whole household gets saved, whole household. Now, do you remember the kind of tree that Zacchaeus climbed up? Do you remember the kind of the tree? Sycamore tree. Now, I don't believe the Bible leaves out details. I mean, he puts details in there on purpose. You know how long it takes a sycamore tree to grow? About 150 years. Okay, think about this. God knew that on that day in Jericho, there would be a man named Zacchaeus who was too short 
to see Jesus. So 150 years prior to Zacchaeus being on that road where Jesus would be, he took a seed, he planted it, he put big old ghetto angels around the seed so it would grow for 150 years so that that tree would be there when Zacchaeus knew that Jesus was coming so he would come and climb that tree so he could see Jesus so he could find the man that it would change his life and his whole family would come to know Jesus God as their savior. That's the sovereign will of God. God has planted trees in your life that he's raising up right now that one day you'll step into that place and you'll need to climb that tree at that moment. All things work together for the good of those who love God. That'd be a good place to say amen right there. Second part of the fairway, everybody say the fairway, is the moral will of God. The moral will of God. This is what God has said in his word. The will of God for my life, God's vision for my life will never be in contradiction to what he has said in his word. Never. So here's the question we have to ask ourselves. If I am not following the word, how can I be in his will? So the Bible says in Thessalonians, it says, it says abstain from sexual immorality. One, one translation says, run! Run. So, but, but if, you're, if that's kind of, well, you know, I don't know if I believe that right now. And, and you know, the Bible's old. And, you know, I want to, you know, I want to take the car out for a test drive. Then, so, so two questions that I, I ask myself on a consistent basis in, in regards to the moral will of God. I'm going somewhere. Just hang with me. First question is this. What, what, am, I, what am I doing that I should not be doing? Because if I'm really interested in God's will for my life, if I'm really interested in fulfilling his vision for my life, if I'm really interested in enacting the faith for God's will, for his plan for my life, then what am I doing that I should not be doing? Secondly is what am I not doing that I should be doing? Like, What are some things that I need to start? What are some habits? It's January. What are some habits that, that might provide me the ability to get in the fairway more often I find myself in the rough all the time I'm in the bunker man last time last four times I've been in the woods last four decisions that I've made I found myself out of bounds what am I not doing that I should be doing and this is where we get to the personal will of God sovereign will moral will personal will of God what God wants to do in my life okay so Moral, out of my control, right? Sovereign, out of my control. Now, now let's put something into our hands. Now we have some ability, some, some freedom here. So here's, the, here, here's what, I, what I think about. The better that I get to know God's sovereign will, listen, and his moral will, the better I'll be able to discern what his personal will is for my life. So we all have questions. I mean, come on, all of us have decisions that we need to make right now. Should I start this business? You know, should, should, I, should I be a part of this church? Should I start serving? Should I connect? Could, should I get involved in a connect group? Should I really follow the Seattle Seahawks? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> should, I, should I marry him? Should I date him? Should I go out with him? Look, let me just give you a little hint. I've got two little girls. Um, first question is, does he have a job? If he doesn't, ain't going to happen. I take my girls out to nice places. 
when I take them out on dates so that when they do meet that guy, he's not going to be able to take them to Taco Bell. And, right. and, the, and the first question that I'm going to ask him is, is he a tither? Because if he ain't tithing, if he's still from God, he'll steal from anybody. So, so, so decisions, questions. Should this be my major? Should I start this business? Should I take this job? Should I move to this city? So we got all these questions, so let's put these questions to the test. So in these last few minutes, I want to give you seven questions that will help you discover God's will for your life. Seven questions, seven questions that, that I believe if you ask, if you take whatever decision, every, any, any question you have about God's vision, God's will for your life. Okay, last week you got a big vision from God. What, this is what I feel like God wants me to do. Now let's, let's take that and filter it through these seven questions. Question number one is, am I in right relationship with God? And what do you mean by that, Pastor? I'm a Christian. I serve God. Okay, that's, that's kind of what I'm talking about. But let's get a little more, let's put a little meat around this. You guys are the 10, 10 o'clock crowd. You, you guys are the you know, uber spiritual. You're like the, the bologna between the bread. You know, you got carb, carb. You're the protein. Right? I mean, you're the muscle of this church. I mean, you're it. That 8 o'clock crowd, they're way too early. They're weird. 12 o'clock crowd, they're trying to repent from Saturday night. Just needed to get it together. But you're the protein, baby. You're it. So am I in right relationship with God? See, we can't expect to be led by someone we don't trust. So do you trust God? Do you really trust him? I'm talking about really trust him. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your life. Listen to Romans 12, 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may test, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Am I in right relationship with God? And question number two, what does God's word say? What does his word say? We talked about the moral will of God. Luke 21, 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. I love Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to, to the division of soul and spirit. Is it, is it, what does God's word say to this? See, here's the cool thing about the word of God that's, that makes it so unique, so powerful. It's so alive. It says it'll divide your soul and spirit. You are a spirit. You live in a body, and you have a soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. The Word of God has the ability to divide your mind, will, and your emotions from what has already been redeemed, your spirit. So it pulls out, listen, it pulls out of, of you the part of you that questions that step. So you start thinking, that's where the fear is. Fear doesn't exist in your spirit because your spirit is born. Again, are you following me? It can't. The only thing that exists in your born-again spirit is love, joy, peace, hope. But it can be convoluted with the way we think, how we emote our emotions, mind, will, our will. And so what the Word of God does, it is exposes those things. 
so that we can identify them. Here's the important thing for us, man. It's not that we don't have to expose it. We're the ones that who have to decide choice whether we want to change it or not. And every time you get in the word of God, man, it exposes more and more. Listen, every time you get in the presence of God, God will put his finger right on the very thing that you need to deal with. Why? Because he wants you to live in the fairway. He wants to live in, in the fairway. Number three, what would Jesus do? WWJD? We need to bring it back, baby. Wristbands, T-shirt, Speedos. I mean, you just bring it all back. WWJD, what would Jesus do? I can see John wearing something. Oh, no, I can't. I can't see that. I can't see it. Whew. Sorry. Sorry. See, does it carry the presence of God? So when I'm, when I'm thinking about this decision, think about that one decision that you have, that one important decision that you feel unlocks your future. That, what, what is it? Does it carry the presence of God? James 3, 14, it says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. In other words, don't be prideful about it. It's so easy to decide to do something and it lose the presence of God. You want to carry the, you want to be a presence carrier in every choice that you make. And so God baptizes it. And you can even be going in the right direction with the wrong spirit. So what would Jesus do? Somebody, somebody presses you or you have the potential to be offended. Listen, you don't want to make a decision with the spirit of offense on it. Are, are you with me? You, you don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get into a place where you're deciding you're going to get into a relationship with somebody because everybody's telling you now's not the time. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. That's... WWJD, what would Jesus do? How, how would he, how, what would be the attitude of his decision? Verse 15, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it's, is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder. But look at verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all, and then he gives us a filter. Listen to this. First of all, pure. Pure, peace-loving, considerate. So when I'm making it, it's considerate. I'm considering other people. It's, it's submissive. It's not rebellious. Full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. The attitude, what would Jesus do? Number four, what does godly counsel say? What are the people in my life that I invited to help me say? Now, here's, here's something that I, I, challenge, um, I challenge people, especially, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I help a lot of pastors. I help a lot of folks like that. And one of the things I asked them, I said, do you have somebody in your life that can tell you no and you listen? Do you, do you have somebody in your life who can say no to you and you go, okay, yes. I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about you have given somebody permission to, to lead you. Why? Why would you do that? Why would you allow somebody? Well, I thought about this. The people that I have in my life to do that, a couple things about them that are very important. Number one is that they're farther along than me. So as a pastor, um, I have people who have been pastoring way longer than me in my life who can tell me no. And I listen. Secondly, I have people in my life that could tell me no, who have more life experience than me. 
They've been, they're, they're typically older. Doesn't necessarily have to be somebody like that, but they have experience. They've been through some stuff. They fought some battles. They may have even got whooped a couple times, but they got right back up. Also, I, I want someone who has proven wisdom. They have a, a track record. So, I'm, so here, here, if I'm married, if I'm a young couple, and, and I've been married for six months, and I want to be mentored by somebody, I'm not going to pick a couple who both the husband and the wife have been married like six times each. Probably not the best people to counsel me unless I kind of want to end up, you know, you don't follow what I'm saying? It's like, it's like the guy who's thinking, you know, maybe I need to leave this person or, or maybe I need to stop this marriage. And so they go to the guy who's just came out of a marriage for counsel. So in other words, they look for people who will agree with them. It happens a lot of times. I mean, people go and they'll be like, hey, can you, can you give me some advice? I don't like your advice. Hey, can you give me some advice? Well, I don't like that. Either. Hey, can you give me some advice until you find somebody? And then we call it counsel. That's not counsel. That's you, you're trying to do what you want to do in life. What does godly counsel say? Number five, am I following God's peace? 1 Corinthians 14, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Of peace. Everybody say peace. God, God says he will give us peace that passes all understanding. In other words, we, we, won't, we won't be able to even see, necessarily understand. The, the storm is all around us, but peace will be inside driving us. So follow the peace. Follow the peace. Let the peace drive you. Number six, is it my will or God's will? Is it my will or God's will? Or am I asking God to bless what I want to do? So I'm, I'm shooting the arrow. I'm drawing the target around. So God, I want you to do this. I, I really think this is a good idea. I really think this is something, it's right. Not necessarily know if it's you, but I'm going to do it anyway. And we get there and then we go, God, would you please bless it? Well, you don't, you know, I got a promotion. They're going to pay me more money. And, and, you know, if I just move to such and such a city and they're going to give me more money. Hey, more money doesn't necessarily mean more God. So we got to really consider that move. And, you know, should I take my whole family there? And, and so am I asking God to bless me or I'm asking God's blessing on his, on his choice in my life? So I want to know, is it God's will? Or, or, or I'm not going to put, I'm not going to put all these, um, uh, ifs and, and wins all around the decision. That doesn't require any faith. Well, you know, if God, God, I'll start tithing when I get the promotion. When you give me, if you can just give me a raise. I just want to raise, Lord. If I just win the lottery, I'm going to be the biggest giver in this church. Lord, give me the numbers. Jesus. When, when I, when I, no, 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 no. It's God's will. Jesus, Jesus said, Matthew 26, he says, it went a little farther. Matthew 26, 39, he went a little farther. He's right, this is right before Jesus is going to the cross. He's all by himself. Peter, James, and John are sleeping. They're taking a nap. The other disciples aren't there. He went a little farther, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If, there, if there's another way, can I have it? But look at the, the, the next word is what I love. Nevertheless. 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 Not 
my will, but your will. Not what I want, not what I think is right, not who I think is the right person, not my will, but your will. Not my vision, but your vision. Because sometimes you have to die to your vision in order to pick up his. That's the last question that I believe will help you. Is am I fully surrendered to God? Am I fully surrendered? You know, this is, this is kind of the big thing about American Christianity that I think has to be answered for us. If I could just be honest for a second, because I think, I think we understand Jesus as our Savior. But do we really understand Him as our Lord? Have I, have I really fully devoted my entire life to Him? Have I given, I'm not talking about weird Christianity. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about normal, everyday, living your life in a lordship mentality, recognizing that, yeah, you know what, God, you're doing stuff back here that I don't understand, I don't see, but I trust you. God, I got your word, and I know that if I, if I get into a, a really hard time, if I can just go to your word, I can, I can find it. Because most of the answers to the questions that we're asking right now are in the Bible. We just got to go there and find them. They're all right there. They're all, all everything that we need to live a life uh, is, is been given, and, get, and on the inside of us, it's all there. But I think we all have to ask the question, first of all, is am I fully surrendered to God? Have I given it all to Him? Have you, have you taken this situation, this circumstance, this question that you have and given it totally to Him? And then, on, nevertheless, God, if whatever you want, I'm willing to do. If that means staying put, I'm willing to do it. If that means deleting them from my contact list <laughs> I'm willing to do it if it means unfriending them on Facebook I know that's a big step it's huge I'm willing to do it <laughs> what is God's will for my life hey let's be in the fairway let's get in the fairway thank you